About 4,000 years ago, one of the greatest tests in uh, human history occurred. And so I'm going to create a timeline. This is 4,000 years ago. Now, we're way down here, and for us to look back on it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. It kind of violates a lot of our sense of ethics, and we're trying to unpack that. And in between us and that is the crucifixion, the resurrection. But there's a fantastic story which kind of sets up everything that we believe about the resurrection. If you ask most of you uh, the importance of the resurrection, we kind of we struggle to make sense of it. We know it's important, but why is it important? So I want to take you through some stories in the Bible. The first one I'm actually going to read to you, it's out of Genesis 22, and some of you have heard this story before. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. God does test. Right off the bat, we learned that. Some of you know that. So he tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, so Abraham replied, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. So right off the bat, we're troubled. Why in the world would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? Not even going to address it. Have fun with that. You can ask me later. Because I want you to see something else. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up, saw the place in the distance. So he said to his servants, stay here. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. So you got to get the picture here. So he loads up all the wood on his son Isaac. They're about to climb a mountain, something we understand here in our country. And uh, Abraham himself took the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up. He's kind of looking around. Uh, Father, I see the wood, and you're carrying the fire and the knife. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them kept walking. Kept walking. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him, Abraham, Abraham, stop, stop, stop. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns. He went over, took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. It's one of the great tests in human history. Okay, second story. Let's move forward 2,000 years to the time of Christ. So now, we're on Thursday, before his crucifixion. How many of you were at the Seder dinner Friday night? Let me see. Was that great? Boy, did we learn a lot, didn't we? And so, he's, he's on Thursday night, and he's eating the Passover dinner with his disciples before he's arrested later on that evening. There's just one problem. Matthew, Mark, and Luke says on Thursday night, he had the Passover dinner and he ate it. But in John... 
It says that the uh, priests wanted to take the body off the cross, Jesus' body, so they could celebrate the Passover. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Passover dinner is on Thursday night. But in John, the Passover dinner is on Friday night. So what do we do with that? The answer to this question, by the way, is very significant in our theology. Okay? Okay, so then we fast forward a little bit further down the road, and we see Paul reflecting back in the Corinthian epistles, and he goes, huh, Jesus is our Passover. How do they make sense of all that? How do they do that? Okay, when we go all the way back to this story, there's important details in this story. Abraham is told to take his son Isaac and to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. I would have loved to have been there for the story between Abraham and Isaac. Isaac, by this time, is probably at least a teenager, maybe a young adult. He's old enough to carry the wood. And uh, that means his dad, who's 100 years older, is 118, 120. So Isaac could have easily stopped his dad, and he didn't. That is a puzzle to us. If this is a picture of what Christ was going to do, he voluntarily climbed up on the altar. Can you imagine the story, the, the conversation between the father and the son? Son, I'm going to kill you. You are? Yeah, I am. We'll come back to that. The other half of what Isaac might have said. So he's told to sacrifice him specifically as a burnt offering. Those two terms become very important in our theology. Burnt offering is what happens every year when they sacrifice the lambs, sacrifice the lambs for the sin of the nation. The burnt offering is how they did it. So now, way down here, Paul's beginning to reflect on that and said, wait a minute, that's a picture. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Now we can unlock what happened on Thursday night. Because you see, in the first century world, there were two calendars at work. The people were allowed to celebrate Passover on either Thursday night or Friday night. Either one. It doesn't matter. The nation officially celebrated it on Friday when Jesus was hanging on the cross. That's why they wanted his body taken down. So Jesus chose on Thursday night to eat the Passover with his disciples. And then the next day, he's executed, probably at the same time that the high priest killed the sacrificial lamb in the temple. So on Thursday night, he eats the Passover, and on Friday, he becomes the Passover lamb. You with me so far? Okay, he became our Passover lamb at the crucifixion. But the story doesn't end there, because Abraham gives us a clue about something very theologically significant. He says to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. He believed that God would raise his son from the dead. When you look in Hebrews 11, now remember, Hebrews is now at the very end of the Bible, way down here. And these authors had this information. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. 
He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he received his son back from the dead. He believed in resurrection, of which Jesus was the first. And we come along after. So now we're back up here in this story. I don't know what it would have gone like. Well, son, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to execute you. I'm going to slay you. And the son said, you are? And he said, yes. But you don't have to worry. You're the son of the promise. God's going to bring you back to life. What did Isaac say? Okay, I'll see you in three minutes. I don't know the answer to it. But all, what I do know is that Abraham believed in the resurrection and sets the picture, sets the stage for uns, us to understand what happened right here with Jesus. Okay? So we're going to come back to Paul in just a second because there's one more problem back here. Isaac asked the question, where's the lamb? God didn't provide a lamb, he provided a ram. And the lamb was what was offered every year by the nation. He provided a ram, not a lamb. It's not until 2,000 years later when John the Baptist comes on the scene and he says, and this is on the back of your bulletins, John 1, he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The question, it took 2,000 years to answer. But here's the important part about it. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sin your sin. We just finished a series in our church on sin throughout Lent. We called it not the way it's supposed to be. We talked about sin brings about uh, destruction of shalom, peace. It destroys our peace. It brings about corruption of the soul. It uh, disintegrates the spirit and breaks up relationships. It causes us to wear masks. And we said during the series that in order for evil to look good, it has to masquerade. I mean, in order for evil to work, it has to masquerade as good. No one ever set out to become a heroin addict by looking at a heroin addict. It has to make itself look good. And so we have learned to wear masks. That's what sin does. It leads to addiction and it destroys unity. That's what sin does. And we asked the question during that series, when you look at God, do you see him as some big killjoy in the sky who's trying to control you, restrict you, limit your life, give you rules? I don't. Or do you look at God as someone who created you for joy and knows the best way for you to get there and sin is a shortcut that hurts? Well, Paul is reflecting on this. So now we're down the road. Paul is sitting in prison. He had just said a couple years earlier, he had taught at Athens, God has provided proof for all people everywhere by raising Jesus from the dead. Now we're beginning to see how important the resurrection is. It is the proof of what happened that weekend, the weekend we're celebrating right now. So now two years later, he's in Ephesus and he's sitting in jail and he's reflecting back on all this stuff that we just talked about. And here's what he said. Now I want you to listen to the intimacy of this because this affects every one of you here in this room. This is the answer to the sin problem. This is Ephesians. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. And he's talking to the Gentiles. If you're a Gentile, this is talking about you. 
you were separated, the Jews had received the promise and the Gentiles had not. So remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, the cross brought about reconciliation. It brought about reconciliation. That's the answer to division. Right there. For he himself is our peace. Here's our shalom. Sin destroys shalom. Christ restores it. He is our peace. He brings peace in our relationships, in our churches, in our marriages. He is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. The reason he did this was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. There's that division disappearing. Unity is reappearing again. That's what Christ does. In one body, he reconciles both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace, shalom, to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. No need for a mask. No need for a mask. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his family. We belong together. That takes care of the disintegration, the corruption, because we live together as a family. Every part of the sin problem that we talked about is answered right here at the cross. So Paul is reflecting back and seeing this whole history. The answer is in John one twenty nine. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We would never know that God accomplished this if we didn't have the resurrection. You see how important the resurrection is? So in the first century, guess what they shared with their friends? We have seen the risen Lord Jesus. We touched him. Our eyes looked at him. We ate with him. We heard him. We know. You cannot take that away from us. He is risen. What's the answer? He is risen. Without the resurrection, Paul says we of all people are most to be pitied because we have no proof. When we tell you that we have a Savior, you have a Savior, His name is Jesus, we're telling you the truth. You have a Savior. His name is Jesus. Father, thank you for uh, sending your Son. Thank you for, as Abraham, willingly placing him on an altar called a cross to sacrifice his life. Jesus, I, I, I don't know if all this is true, but when I look back at Abraham's story, I, I see that Isaac had to be a willing participant. Thank you for willingly climbing up on the cross uh, and laying down your life for us. Uh, and then God, thank you for resurrecting your son as proof so we don't have to act blindly. We can act because we know what you did. Thank you. In your son's name we pray, amen.